0: Baby!
1: First verse, together again,
2: heart the herald angels sing.
3: without peace in a world that struggles, strife between each other between us and you so Lord as we focus in on this season help us have that perspective you came to bring peace you bore our sins that we would have peace with you and that peace flows outward so that we may share this love with others the church would be the ultimate picture of this peace, Lord. We pray that this would happen. Father, we come to you now with these prayer requests, knowing that you are still active with us. Your spirit is still here. You hear our prayers. You work in this world. And so we confess these things to you, to submit them to you and ask for your help. God, we pray for the Steen family and for Rick and for his uh and for his brothers, his brother and sisters. God, they loss of their mother this morning. God, we pray that as they grieve and process this, that you would turn their hearts to you. Or we pray uh, for the gateway kids here, Lord, uh, for the great opportunity you've given us for the next generation, Lord, that we would raise them up in the truth, and that, Lord, you would give them receptive ears as we, as parents, seek to share your word with these children and also the church as well that we would, as a community would seek to raise in lord we pray for our government leaders as they are seeking to uh, make the right choices in the midst of a pandemic one that continues to roll through we pray for your healing and for your grace now that you would help us to see you that you would bring healing for these people those who are sick, for the end of the virus, or at least for it to scale back. Lord, we pray for your intervention. We pray for these leaders as they have to make very difficult decisions. God, give them wisdom and guidance. God, we thank you for the Mistech Church here in town. We thank you for their leadership and Pastor John and Lisa as they continue to work there in that community. Grant them open doors that the gospel may go forward. We pray for Taylor and Sarah Fox and their ministry in Strasbourg, France. God, thank you that they are taking the gospel to the place uh, for so many people do not know you, that have no concept or understanding of religion, but they are there holding out the truth. Give them your grace, God, and give them open hearts and open doors. And for the unreached people, the Tuni of Somalia that we're praying for this week, uh, we pray that you would bring the word to them that biblical resources would come through the Christians in that area in East Africa, that, Lord, that they would you would continue to bring your kingdom to the ends of the earth. And, God, for our offering today, for our returning to you what is already yours, um, we just pray that you would use it for the growth of, growth of your kingdom. And, God, as we submit our hearts to you, that we would give with generous hearts. And finally, for CJ this morning, as he leads us through your word, we pray that you would give him the words to speak, that you would make us attentive as we seek to understand your glory and your truth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray all this in Jesus' name.
4: Good. Good morning, family. Good morning. Woo! That gets me every time. That's one of my favorite videos, and I thought it was very fitting since over the next few weeks we're going to be emphasizing and making much of our king and who he is and why he came and why we're even in this room this morning. Um, as Grady said, uh, you know, we've been going through James, and so for the next few weeks we're going to be emphasizing Advent and uh, the coming of our King, and that's why I wanted to emphasize, even uh, with that video this morning, Um, looking ahead over the next few weeks, looking to hope and our joy and our peace. And so before I begin today, I want to say, first off, why am I sitting down? (laughs) Y'all know me, many of you, but uh, just real brief, some know, some don't, but a year ago I had a mild heart attack right over there on um, aisle two, Um, but... uh, (laughs) And shortly after that, um, in the hospital, they put in a defibrillator in my chest. And the last time I was behind this pulpit was in February of this year. And uh, since then, I've had some episodes uh, in May in July and August where I've been shocked. And my heart's been going into more of a VTAC situation at times. The last one actually happened while I was teaching the youth in the youth room, which was, I'm sure, for them, very entertaining, <laughs> watching me get jacked up. And uh, so... Um, they started me on a new medication, and so over the past few months, it's been hard for me to adjust. It's, it's brutal. I Many of you on some of these heart meds, it can be very very disheartening. But um, So anyway, since then, I've sat down. It's like the Holy Spirit said, relax. I'm Italian. You're going to see my hands move a lot. Um, but for me to sit down, it's like I'm partially here. So I love to move and do. So I don't like this. And hopefully, Lord willing, over the next few months, I can get back into a normal rhythm. But but even, I'm going to be real today, y'all know me, I'm, I'm, I bring it all out, but even, I just ask for your prayers, even in the office as I was reading over my notes again and praying, the headache started. So I've got this thing starting to come up in my head, and I think it's warfare. <laughs> I just know, because what I'm about to bring you today is the greatest news in the history of mankind. What we're going to look at over the next few weeks, and what we heard is the greatest news. There's nothing on planet Earth that is more important than what we're going to talk about today and over the next few weeks. So, you know, I covered your prayers as far as woo, dealing with my head. So, um, anyway, was, but I'm excited. Y'all know me. I love encouraging you, checking the clock. Love being in the Word and just talking about Jesus and making much of who our God is. And, guys, that's what we're going to talk about today. We, this morning we're going to look at, and I always, I ask Grady over the years, I love, this is one of my favorite Advent things to share on because of just you know how in Scripture sometimes, I, t- I went to teach on Psalm 145 when we were going through the Psalms, and uh, some of those chapters and, and verses are just the <laughs> verses, the mind-blowing ones, the wow factor. I mean, there's not even a word in the English language that can describe who He is and how amazing He is. And some of the verses we go through, they're just so beyond our finite minds. And that's what we're talking about today. Today, we're going to look at the wonder and the hope of the Incarnation. There's no, It truly is unbelievable what we're about to talk about, and I hope that we are reminded today about how amazing it is, because this is the greatest news we get to have to share. During this season, is there something wrong? I'm sorry, buddy. Brian, we good? Should I lower it a bit? Okay. Sounds like a little echo. But this is the beauty of what we're doing. This topic is incredible, and it's why we're in this room. And it's safe to say, I'm looking around, I would be remiss to think that majority of you in this room are probably followers of Jesus Christ and have placed your faith and trust in him. But during the season, I know with people visiting and stuff, there could be some in here that as Dr. Lockridge so you know, eloquently said, uh, do you know him today? And some of you in here in this room may not know him as we do in a, in a faithful relationship, an intimate relationship. But I will guarantee you this today, before you leave, you will know much about him. You will know who he is and why he came and what happened from the beginning. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today briefly. So what is the incarnation? We're talking about hope, but there is no hope. (laughs) That word doesn't exist in our vocabulary without the incarnation. So we're gonna look at what that is first. So if you would please stand, we're going to read the biblical revelation of the incarnation, John chapter one, one through 14. And every time I read this over the years that I, I love meditating on and thinking about the incarnation, Is there, there's an echo. I'm sorry, is is this too high? Brian, my bad, let me see if I need to lower it. Sorry, everybody. Again, warfare. Something happened. Is that better? Okay, I'll talk loud to him. You know how I can get that way. But what I want to do and share with this is I love putting in sometimes when there's Trinitarian verses or there's verses that have, again, the multiple Godhead, persons of the Godhead in it. So what I'm going to read this, I'm going to literally put the, pro, the proper noun where certain he's and him's go because it just makes it more clear and so amazing. So when you read up there, you may see a he or a him, but it's going to be, I'm going to put the proper noun in it. So John chapter 1, 1 through 14, just get ready to be blown away again this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was in the beginning with God. All things were made through the Word, and without the Word was not anything made that was made. In the Word was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, that's John the Baptist. John came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through the light. John was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. There's Advent. The light was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The Word came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in Him, to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here it is, folks. The Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace grace and truth. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much. Even as I was reading these words again just now, God, our finite minds cannot fully grasp the measure of how amazing this is, that we are in this room because the Word became flesh. And I just pray this morning, as we take a glimpse into the, the beauty and the splendor and the majesty of who you are, that, Holy Spirit, you would come as our guide, as our teacher, to bring revelation and enlightenment, encouragement as we look to you today, God, to be reminded. We so need reminding, especially in this year of all things, God, with so many people going through pain and sorrow and loss and tragedy in so many different ways, God, we need to look to you, the hope, and, the, and as you came through the incarnation. So again, have your way this morning. May you receive all honor and glory and speak to us as you see fit in Jesus' name. Amen. The word became flesh, guys. I mean, this is... For the greatest words put together in in any language. And so this the incarnation, the enfleshing of the eternal Son of God, the eternal second person of the Godhead, the Trinity took on flesh. We're about to get into the dogma and doctrine of our faith with the youth starting in January. And on Wednesday nights, we're going to do it on Sundays. And on the Wednesday nights, we're going to do the attributes of God. I'm so excited what we're going to be doing with the youth. But God, this is the foundation of our faith seeing the, we know who our God is as three persons in one, knowing each have their own function and role, but the beauty of the Trinity. And so here the eternal second person of the Godhead, the eternal word, becomes human, and he enters his creation in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is the great mystery. We fully cannot understand this. Our minds cannot fully comprehend the great mystery of Jesus being fully human and fully God. Having a human nature and a divine nature. The, the eternal word, the agent of creation, as it said in John 1. All things were made through the word, and without the word was not anything made that was made. When God created everything in the beginning, how did he do it? He spoke. The word came forth, something was there. The word came forth, something was there. So the word, the agent of creation, was being made in the likeness of men. His own creation. I just hope today you truly see the... I hope you meditate on this later and just go back to really see the gravity and how incredible this is. As it says in Philippians 2, 5-7, through 7, where Paul says, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not e- count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Guys, the God of the universe, the agent of creation, the God who as we look out and the trees are turning and the grass and the sky and the beauty of creation, that God came as his creation in the likeness of men. That is where we love singing, yet the word Emmanuel, God with us, he came. So why the incarnation? What is even the point what do, you know? We saw what it is now, the word becoming flesh, but why? Why did the incarnation have to happen? So we go to the beginning, the very beginning. God in the garden created all things. Seventh day he rested, and God said everything was what? Good, perfect in his eyes, which he can do nothing but perfection. So he created everything perfectly, and he made man and woman in his image. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so he placed them in the garden to have fellowship with him, to be intimate with him, for him to enjoy. And the overarching thing of this whole thing, and we've said it from this pulpit for years, but I'm going to just reiterate it. The primary reason that this is the greatest news on the earth is to bring honor and glory to Jesus. His overarching purpose for everything That God does from the very first thing he created that he spoke was for his glory, his name, his renown, his reputation, for him to be exalted above all things. Amen? That's it. So everything we're going to hear today, that is the overarching purpose of why this news, this message is so incredible. So in the garden, after everything was done and it was good, it was perfect, God had a conversation with the man and woman in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And again, you're going to hear a lot of things that you've heard many times, but guys, we need to be reminded of this. This is why we're here. This is why we can even say there is hope on this earth. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So, in the perfection of the garden, in this perfect relationship that Adam and Eve had with God, In the midst of all of that, God gave one simple instruction, one negative command. That's it. For there to continue to be perfection, for Adam and Eve to live forever, for them to enjoy the beauty of his creation, he gave them one negative command. Do not eat. And we know the result. In the midst of that, a serpent came. And we know it, the serpent is Satan or the devil in Genesis 3, 4 through 6. The serpent said to the woman, "You sure will surely not die." And even before this, he literally said it was a question, "Indeed, did God really say?" Questioning God's wisdom and his ways. And then he comes to this point, "You will sh- you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And if there was any, every time I read this, if there were any sound effects of Scripture, it would have been dun-dun-dun-dun at that moment, or maybe a big you know. Because this is what happened, guys. At that moment, after Eve was deceived by the serpent, she gave in, and then Adam did as well. That's a whole other sermon for another day, Adam acquiescing his function. But when Eve and Adam bit, and we get the ta-dum. And if you look at the, what she looked to, what does Adam deceived her with? Adam, uh, Eve saw that it would um, be good for food, that it would be a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. Do you all know the three temptations Jesus was hit with in the garden? I mean, in the, in the wilderness? Those three. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. And it's talked about later in the epistles. I mean, right out of the gate. This was Satan's mission. This was his deceptive tool. I'm going to hone in on what I believe is going to impact humanity and deceive them with this. And so at that moment of, da da guess what finally entered the reality of man and the reality of earth so quickly into its inception? One word, hopelessness. At that moment in time, as brief as it was, we may be considered day eight or day nine or so hopelessness entered the reality of man. And at that point, Adam and Eve recognized their sin, recognized their rebellion, recognized they pretty much mocked or spit in the face of God, saying, we know better. Isaiah 59.2 puts it so clearly. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Iniquity is having one's own way. And that early on, Adam and Eve looked at each other and bit and had their own way. We know best. And at that point, hopelessness entered the world for all of us. As Adam is our federal head, the second hopelessness came because of sin and rebellion. It was for all of us. Hopelessness was for all of us, all of mankind. There was no way out at that point, according to Adam and Eve. Paul David Tripp, who I'm a theologian and a pastor and love him, an author. I'm going to read something from him a little later on. I love this quote by him. He said, the doorway of hope is hopelessness. Hope doesn't exist without hopelessness. There's no need for hope without hopelessness. And so this is where hope began. The inception of hope because what hopelessness came through sin. Mankind in its sinful condition was hopeless. And then here are the two greatest... Words together in all scripture. But God. Amen. We were hopeless. Mankind was hopeless. But God. And God at that, again, had a plan and a mission of hope. Hope means an expectation of a good desired. That's how it's defined. In the Greek, it means to which one flees for refuge. To one who puts confidence in or one who places trust in something. That's hope. So at that point for Adam and Eve, they had to put their face of some good desire to find a place of refuge because they know what they did. So where did they try to find refuge? They sought out trees to, be, to hide themselves because they recognized they were naked. They made fig leaves. And so they were hiding from God. And at that moment, in their shame and in their nakedness and trying to cover up, this is so awesome, hope came in the midst of the garden. And every time I think about the Incarnation, I had a little chat with Grady about this. This is where I start. The Incarnation begins in the garden. Because Genesis 3, 8 reveals it for us. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Grady and I were talking, and again... We like talking theology stuff, and this is just where I camp. Theologians are on different things on this. To me, it's very obvious because of what I'm going to read in a little bit. And so we, you know, we're we good together as your pastors <laughs> on this. But the beauty of this, this is what I see is so, this is who our God is, what you're about to hear. It's so amazing that in the midst of the garden, our God could have easily gone, I smite thee for disobeying me and kicked them out of the garden or done what at the exact moment they ate? Killed them. What did Jesus, God say? If you eat of this tree, you shall surely what? Die. die. Now, obviously, in God's providential plan, it meant humanity is eventually going to die. You're not going to live forever in the garden. You're going to die. But he had every right as a just God, as a holy God, to smite them at that very moment for mocking and rebelling against him. Correct? But he didn't do that. In this moment, he still displayed his holiness and his justice but he showed his care, his compassion, his grace, his mercy, and his love by showing up in a personal, intimate way. And I submit to you, and Grady and I agreement on this, and I just see it, that this is what is called the first theophany in the Bible. Theophany means a visible manifestation of God. And what I believe, and others and theologians, is that this is the first time in God's amazing way of doing things, that the pre-incarnate Christ showed up. That God revealed his glorious splendor and beauty and care and intimacy by showing up in the garden to come to Adam and Eve in that way. He could have easily sat back in the garden on some royal throne or even a mystical thing and had all the animals gather and said, Adam and Eve, come to me. Right? He could have done that as God. But what did he do? He came to them. He walked in the garden, and this is all a part of his glory and his wonder and revealing himself to mankind. He came to them. Charles Spurgeon had some neat insight on this. The pastor and theologian loved Spurgeon. He said, it would have been the worst thing that could have happened to our race if God had let this planet to take its own course, and it said, I will leave them to their own way, for they are given over to idols. And the idolatry was themselves. I'm going to do what I want to do. And he put in here as well, but God, he waited until the evening. Spurgeon said, this suggests to me God's great patience with the guilty and his divine care for the guilty. He could have left them until the morning, but God would not leave Adam and Eve in suspense through the whole night after they sinned against him. So Spurgeon says, it seemed to say, God was saying, I will not leave them all night without the promise which will brighten their gloom. Can you imagine? I mean, again, we're humans. Adam and Eve, we share the same humanity. They had emotions. They were thinking what they were thinking, hiding out in the woods with their fig leaves on, knowing that they were created by this being, knowing that God had a conversation of what they had done. Again, guess what? We have done the exact same thing. And that's the first thing we had to recognize. We're no different than Adam and Eve. But the beauty of this moment where God came And literally at that moment, Adam and, you know, God said, where are you? And Adam said, you know, we're hiding. And that whole dialogue was amazing. And at the end of that, you know, God even saying, how did you even know you were naked? How did you know that you? And then they confessed some things. But at the end of this, as Spurgeon said, a promise was going to be declared. And that promise was hope. The promise is the word hope and hope in himself, in the person of God himself. Obviously, there were consequences for their sin. They were banished from the garden. Man, Adam, had to toil and work the ground. Women, I'm sorry. You know your consequence um, of one of them. Uh, more pain in childbirth and other things. But, and then the serpent. There was a consequence and a curse, and this one I'm holding in on. To the serpent, to Satan himself, was cursed. He said, on your belly you will go. And then, one of the greatest verses ever declared. For us as our hope, the verse of promise, the verse of hope, the first kingdom of God verse for God's rule and reign over all things declared on earth is Genesis 3.15. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Some translations say your seed and her seed. He, the woman's seed, the seed of the woman shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's the verse of promise. At that point, God was saying, coming in the future, one is coming, the seed of a woman who's going to crush your head, serpent. One is coming who's going to be the hope, who's going to make things right, who's going to have all authority. He will crush you. You will bruise his heel. And this happened at the cross. Satan caused Jesus to suffer and be beaten and mocked and ridiculed, and all those things. Jesus suffered for us. But he didn't win. Jesus overcame. Satan was was able to seal the deal, in a sense. And then that's what Satan wanted to do. But God, by his victorious grace, spoke into existence, saying, one is coming who's going to crush your head. And the crushing happened at the cross, and the resurrection power of Jesus, and now as he is ascended and sitting at the right hand of the Father... That was what was to come. And at that point, when God declared that, we could have the Rocky theme go off, right? I mean, that would have been it. Because at that point, for all of us, that's where our hope started. It was declared that one is coming to make things right, to be victorious over all things. So from this verse on, we see Satan and the forces of darkness at work to destroy the seed of the woman, the seed of hope. From this, day, from this point on, Satan's mission was, wherever that seed is, I'm going to try to destroy it, because if this person's never born, or never comes, then my head can't be crushed. And we see it all throughout the Old Testament. That's why I love just seeing the beauty of the Old Testament, how God operated, but also the forces of darkness at work. What do you think the main aspect of Moses, of all those little boys being murdered? There was prophecy of a Savior coming, one who was coming. And they were all killed because they obviously... Pharaoh didn't want that to happen, but who was behind Pharaoh pulling the strings? Satan was. We see this with Herod, killing all the little boys before Jesus was born. I mean, at that time of Christ, coming. Same thing, if the seed was destroyed, this will never come to fruition, and this prophecy would never be fulfilled. So the seed of hope was to come, and Satan knew and tried to do what he could. And all throughout the Old Testament, guys, we see it's incredible. God's mission of hope and redemption unfold. For thousands of years, we see God establish his holiness and power before the peoples of the earth, from his own people, the Israelites, to everyone else. I mean, we all know when we study the Old Testament, sometimes people think it's hard to look at that. We see God's wrath poured out. We see different things happen that make us go, wow, that seemed a little rough. Or, but God was establishing himself in his holiness and justice. And the beauty of it is, even with the Ten Commandments and all those things where God knew no man could fulfill any of the law. That's why the hope was coming. (laughs) He did that on purpose so that he would be able to fulfill it in Christ. So for thousands of years, we hear and see prophecy and things over and over again. And yet, despite him showing up in a, a powerful way, in a holy way, we saw time and time again where God came near and showed up as a foreshadowing of the incarnation of what was to come. And guys, sometimes we just lose sight of this. I just love reading some of the Old Testament stories with this because, remember, the same God of the New Testament is the same God of the Old. <laughs> he doesn't change. He hasn't changed His ways, His nature, His attributes. And the beauty of the Old Testament so many times is we saw the pre-incarnate Christ, the theophany of God show up. Once it came in the burning bush, once we saw He was the cloud by day and the fire by night. So sometimes He showed up in, the, in nature in that way. But guess what, guys? Multiple times again, just as he walked in the garden, he walked on the earth with his people. He showed up in Genesis 16 to encourage Hagar. He showed up in Genesis 18 with two of his angels to have a dialogue with Abraham to speak forth Isaac to say, Sarah's going to have a child. And then what does she do in the tent? She mocks him. She laughs at him. But Jesus, pre-incarnate Christ, second person of the Trinity, shows up and it's very clear because he's referred to as Lord and they have a dialogue about Sodom and Gomorrah. But what I even love about that, and I thought about it this morning, just how amazing God is. That at that moment, the theophany of God, the pre-incarnate Christ, spoke to Abraham and encouraged Abraham saying, You will bear a son and his name will be Isaac. What seed did Christ come through? Isaac. Here he is, the pre-incarnate, speaking forth and encouraging me, going, one day, (laughs) when I come in my glory and I come in human form, it's going to be through your son. That's, but that's who our God is. That's what he does. He shows up in this intimate way. He showed up in Genesis 32 and wrestled with Jacob. We know the story, they're wrestling. And Jacob said, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. And God blesses him and dislocates his hip, the first WWE, like they got into it. I mean, literally, Jacob doesn't let him go. He's like, you're going to bless me. And at the end of it, he said, I saw God face to face. Guys, that's incredible. Another wow moment. And Samson, he shows up with the parents of Samson in Judges 32. And before their little dialogue is over, he he shows them miracles and wonders and reveals his glory and his power to them. And at the end of it, Sam, uh, Samson's mom goes, I can't believe we're not dead. Literally, she I don't. why are we not dead? We just saw God. So I say those things because I want us to get a grasp when we see and experience and recognize the beauty of the incarnation of him coming in the form of a babe, in human form. I want us to recognize God has always been this way. This is who he is. This is who we can trust and look to. And who our hope is in. God comes down in the midst of his broken creation to fulfill his redemptive plan of hope and to reconcile man to himself. And he did it for all with the final theophany in the person of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, very familiar passage. But as we just said, this was the point of the mission. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself Through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Jesus was sent as a babe in human form to reconcile the world back to Father, to reconcile the world back to Himself. And it did all through the Old Testament, guys, we see prophecy, dozens and dozens, pointing to the Incarnation, pointing, pointing, thousands of years. We see the mention of the Messiah, one who is coming, the seed of the woman that's going to crush the head of Satan, was declared, one is coming to set us free, our Savior, our Messiah. And Grady stole my thunder a little, I had to read Luke 1, thanks dude, I'm just kidding. But again, I'm going to reiterate it. This is the first time how hope was truly declared, again, in a more detailed manner, which is just amazing. You can imagine a little teenager, Mary, sitting in the room, and my brain goes here. I just look at Scripture simply. I just get excited like a kid. And can you imagine the moment in the angelic realm when God said, hey, Gabriel, come here. And Gabriel, however the moment is, yes, God, it's time after thousands of years on this earth, of the earth being formed. And again, Gabriel being created whenever he was created. But he had a name. And there was like Michael and Lucifer and all the others. But this one, my brain goes. How amazing it is that Gabriel was called forth and said, it's time to declare hope is coming for mankind, for my creation, to be redeemed and restored back to me. And so Gabriel shows up with this little teenage girl I'm going to read it again. And Gabriel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's why I played the video The coming of the king. A king was coming to restore all things. And again, Mary responded, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And Gabriel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Can you imagine the moment with Gabriel and just her together? The eternal Son was coming. And I've read this before and it just, is just such a great reminder. It's such a humbling thing. God could have had his son come, his redeemer, his savior for the world come in any way possible. He could have come the first time the way he's coming again. The sky can be split open, riding down amongst the angelic realm, or on a horse, or any way possible. Could he? The coming king to restore, to redeem. God could have done it any way he wanted. And Max Lucado does a wonderful little expression here of how God did it. And again, Just astounding when you meditate on this. Max said, It all happened in a moment, a most remarkable moment. As moments go, that one appeared no different than any other. If you could somehow pick it off the timeline and examine it, it would look exactly like the ones that have passed while I have read these words. It came and it went. It was preceded and succeeded by others just like it. It was one of those countless moments that have marked time since eternity became measurable. But in reality... That particular moment was like none other. For through that segment of time, a spectacular thing occurred. God became a man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe... Became an embryo, and he who sustains the world with the word chose to be dependent, sustains the world with the word upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God had entered the world as a baby. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No silk, no ivory or hype, no party and no hoopla. Majesty in the midst of the mundane. Holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. Divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable, through the womb of a teenager, and in the presence of a carpenter. A more lowly place of birth could not exist. Off to one side sit a group of shepherds. If it were not for them, there would have been no reception. They sit silently on the floor, perhaps perplexed, perhaps in awe, but no doubt in amazement. Their night watch had been interrupted by an explosion of light from heaven and a symphony of angels. Angels now watch as Mary changed God's diaper. The rags keeping him warm were the robes of eternity. This baby had overlooked the universe. Mary looks into the face of the baby, her son, her Lord, his majesty. And somehow Mary knows that she's holding God. So this is he. And she remembers the words of the angel, his kingdom will never end. It all happened in a moment, in one moment, a most remarkable moment. The word became flesh. I just love that. It just gives perspective, you guys, the reality of our amazing God, who's so indescribable, incomprehensible, truly would come in this way, in the humblest of ways, on a dirt floor being watched by shepherds who were the lowly of the lows, the first ones to receive him on this earth in that way. What an example for us. So hope arrived that way, our hope. The babe in this manger, every time I literally see a nativity. I look at that nativity. It was declared. I see that babe, and that babe is the bread of life, the living water, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life. He's the true vine and the way, the truth, and the life. That's who he is. That's what he came to reveal. Colossians 1.27 says, He's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Hebrews 6 says, We who have fled to take hold of the hopes that before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That hope we have is the anchor. It sustains us. It holds us firmly because of who Jesus is and what he came to do to redeem us, to set us free, to bear the wrath of the Father on the cross for us, to take our place. That was his plan of hope and redemption for man, and he came to do that for us. For our hope to look to Him. One of my favorite scriptures, because that's why we're in this room Titus 3 4 through 7. When the kindness of the love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope. Of eternal life. Guys, we get to have an intimate personal relationship with hope. Hope is a person, it's not something we attain for. We have hope in a relationship, and we get to experience that on a daily basis. And we get to look forward. I don't know why I'm pointing that way, but we get to look forward. We look ahead. And just like Simon and Anna, who were in the temple for years and years longing for the coming of the Messiah. And when Jesus showed up in, ba- in the little, his little form as a baby and walking through the temple, and the Holy Spirit led Simon there and said, This is he. This is the one I've been waiting for. Simon was there for years, and he's holding this baby going, "I, My eyes are looking upon my salvation. And Anna, who faithfully worked there, came up too. God led her. Both of these individuals who longed for and waited for their hope. And guys, we are the new Simeon and Anna. That's us. We should be feeling that way, looking ahead, going, we can't wait till our king returns. And here, it's not escape, Mexico. I have, it drives me nuts when Christian goes, man, I wish the Lord would just take us out of here. That's not the point of us being on this earth. We're to bring honor and glory. We're to be salt and light. We're to be the ambassadors of hope to point people to Jesus. And during this season especially, where there's a spotlight on Christ, we're to do this every week. Every Sunday, we're to be about this. Y'all know that, right? But this season... God in his providence, like Easter, has allowed the spotlight of humanity to be on him for two holidays, where we can talk to people and share our faith and recognize the hope that we have, and we're able to tell others about it. 1 Peter 3.15, we're coming down the home stretch. I promise. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give. The reason for the What? hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. This is our calling to express our hope, to reveal our hope, to defend it, to be prepared to always tell everyone, guys, we should live in a lifestyle, as he's been teaching us in James, walking in faith, dealing with all the things we have to deal with, that people at some point see us as being set apart and different for them to come up and go, how can you have hope? How can you act this way or behave this way or say these things in the midst of a pandemic or in the midst of loss or trial? I've talked to people about my situation. And they're like, how can you feel like this? Because of this, because of hope, because of Jesus and what he came to do and to set me free and redeem me. I can look to him as the reason for my hope and be prepared to share that with others. And just as a reminder, guys, the same hope that justifies us is the same hope that sanctifies us. So many Christians I've seen, oh, I'm saved, I'm justified, I look to Jesus to keep me out of hell. Woo, all right. But then some of them, and again, I would question their faith, but then some just put their faith in other things from that point on their hope in finances, relationships, their job, uh, their, I mean, everything, their own identities, different things. They put their hope in those things. But what I'm saying here is that hope sustains us even in our sanctification, God conforming us to his image and making us like him and making us holy. It's both. He came for a justification and sanctification. We're not done when we get saved. It's just the beginning as he sanctifies us for his glory so that we can reveal who he is. This is my prayer for you guys today. Romans 15, 13. In the light of the incarnation and the hope we have in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the holy spirit guys this is justification and sanctification in one verse we are come in joy and peace to place our trust in him that's vertical and then in turn because of that and what we experience with the hope of Christ and all that he is we pray he's praying here that it would overflow out of us, the horizontal to others, that they would see the hope that we have, and it can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, to compel us, to move on us, to even be able to do that. And in closing, guys, just how this plays out for me personally, just really brief. Guys, the sanctification of hope for me has gotten really real since last year. I get up every day now at 51 years old, walk in my bathroom, grab a little box with the days of the week on it, a.m. and p.m., and I place in my hand eight pills that I have to take every morning, and literally, as I'm looking at those pills, and I did it again this morning, I'm like, my hope is in you and not in this. And every day, I'm having to rely on this verse and these truths that my heartbeat right now, I mean, right now I'm struggling in fear, knowing if I get too much into it, I could go into VTAC, and this could go off in front of you. But my hope is in him. My hope is saying, Lord, sustain me during this sermon. I love doing this. I love sharing your word. I love encouraging my family. But I need you. I need you every day. I put those pills in my hand and plop them in my mouth. And thank you, Lord, for pharmacists and and men and women who you've gifted to make medicine. That's all wonderful. But my hope's not in the pills. My hope is in Jesus, the one who is the author and finisher of my faith, The one who is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. He came so I can be justified and in turn be sanctified to trust him in these moments of struggle and trial and doubt and fear to be able to look to him and say, I need you today. You're my only hope. Not this meds, not this. As much as I do hope in this thing, praise God I have it. It has saved my life a few times by shocking me back into rhythm. But I give God the glory and the hope because he allowed somebody to make this to put it in my chest. He's my hope. And so I just want to encourage you guys with this. During this season, especially during this Christmas, here in my heart, family, there are people, even this morning, we weep for the Steens. We grieve with the Steens and the loss of Rick's mom. I just came from a funeral last week where we got to worship this Lord for this precious 84-year-old lady. It's Alan's mom. They're part of our church here, and we're worshiping and praising God and lifting to him and lifting up praise and talking about her legacy of how she impacted so many lives with the gospel and I sat there in tears thinking about my father three years ago and losing him and just what I was teaching today we're sitting in that funeral home going God you're our hope we can rejoice we can be at peace we can look to you because we're going to see Miss Nina again we're going to see Grandma Steen again we're going to see my father again because of the hope of the incarnation because of what Jesus came to do for us to sustain us. And so my prayer for you is ask God during this season. There are people out there beyond, I know you're hurting, but that need to experience the hope of Christ through you with a simple word, with a hug, with a touch, with just seeing Jesus as you act out your life in whatever it is, in your sphere of influence. And guys, we know, I've said this a thousand times when I've taught during this season, God has given us a kairos moment in time, which in the Greeks means a very unique divine appointment during this season when everybody is open to talk and share and ask questions and have dialogue because who's in the forefront? Even some of my Jewish friends during Hanukkah, here's a great opportunity to say, why do you celebrate this? Why do you look to this instead of, what don't you believe that Jesus is not? Th-? Open a conversation in humility as it said here. Do it with love and humility and grace. Gentleness and respect. You've got to have family members and friends and co-workers that need to hear the good news of today, what we shared about today. It's a mind-boggling concept. I mean, what we're talking about here is amazing. But the Lord desires us to let it overflow that hope into others. Amen? we got a great opportunity, guys, during this season. I just pray for some that it would be their salvation this year. I ask the worship team to come forward. I'm going to read one closing reading by Paul David Tripp. Kind of surmises this. It's so well done. Just brought all this together. It's entitled Hope. And he says this The only hope, the only help, the only rescue, the only healing, the only solace, the only balm, the only redemption. The only restoration for a broken, dysfunctional, sin scarred, evil infected, morally fallen, dark and dangerous world isn't found in information, socialization, education, political solution, psychological insight, or personal reformation, but it's only found in the willing birth, righteousness, humiliation, suffering, sacrifice, and resurrection of our God-man-redeemer. No idea can liberate. No power can save. No institution can redeem or restore or resuscitate or recreate what sin has destroyed. So a son had to come. The son of God, the son of man, the creator came to recreate. The savior came to be the sacrifice. The blessed one came to suffer and in suffering to bless the world with hope, to bless the world with help and rescue and healing and solace and balm and redemption and restoration. The cost of it was his life. It was his birth mission, his resurrection victory. History marched toward his coming, and there was no other way. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. And truly, we could sit here for the rest of the day and multiple days and just bask in the glory of what we just talked about today. Seeing the beauty of your word and why you came and how you came. Seeing your glory and your majesty and your splendor of coming to save your creation that had fallen, that it's broken, that it rebelled. But by your grace and mercy, for your glory, for your name and renown, for your reputation to be exalted among all things. God, thank you there was no other way. You had a plan. And I just pray, God, that as we leave here today and celebrating this season of Advent, your coming, your arrival in the way you did, that you would give us divine appointments, opportunities to share the hope we have in you. And God, I know many are here going, Lord, I need you to work on me seeing the hope in my own life. So I pray this morning for those that are hurting, for those that are in despair and grief, experiencing tragedy and loss and maybe so many facets of their life with finances and jobs and broken relationships, whatever it is, God, show up as you have done thousands and thousands and thousands of times as our hope that we look to you for strength, comfort, and peace as our one source of life. And then in turn, as we experience the hope we have in you, God, it would be a natural, as it says in Romans 15, a natural overflow for others to see it in our lives. God, we just desire to be salt and light, to be your ambassadors, to represent you well, to experience that during this season. Bring people our way, Father. We pray that the day of salvation would be for many of our friends or family, coworkers, that we can have the opportunity to share and to talk about the hope of the incarnation. Again, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for what you've done, for saving us, for loving us, redeeming us, for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: My is found, and he is my light, my strength. My soul, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought in storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are sealed, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all of Christ. Sky, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final bread Jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I'll say. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, Father, our hope is in you, God.
1: CJ just spoke this morning, God, as we look to that hope, God. Our hope, your son Jesus Christ, God, as we take time during this season, especially, God, with Christmas and coming up and just looking to that hope, God, and look into you coming to this world, coming in the flesh, making yourself known, making that hope known. Knowing that the end was going to be the cross. Yet, God, you were obedient. Before time, you had set forth a plan of redemption. And that plan required the death of your son. But in order for your son to die, he had to come. So we take time during this, God, to celebrate the birth of our Savior, our hope, Jesus Christ came in a manger and lived a life that we could Dwelt amongst men, tempted in every way that we are, God, yet remain sinless, God, so that he could be obedient and obedient to the cross, God. So that now we together can celebrate and then we can worship and have a reason to worship God because our hope is found in you our redemption our salvation is found in you and you alone God if not for your son today we're just wasting time what we're singing doesn't matter your scripture doesn't matter but God you came you died and you rose again and you are alive today, God. And because of that, we have hope in you, God. Though times are crazy now. And the times have been crazy before, God. Our hope is not in things of this world, God. Our hope is not in treasures of this world. Our hope can only be found in your precious son, God. Thank you for for Jesus, God. Thank you for Your obedience, God, and even just your willingness to make a way when we deserve no other way, God. God, we deserve hell. Through our parents, Adam and Eve, God, and through the fall of man and our inherent nature, our only thing we deserve is hell. Yet you choose to save sinners like us. You choose to make a way, God. So that we can sing these songs like this, God, that in Christ alone our hope is found. And that we look to the cross, we look to the resurrection, God. And we look to you, God. God, may we remember this hope that we have, God, because we once were sinners, God, and you saved us, God. If you have saved us, we have that hope, God. May we remember that hope, God, and as we go this week, Will you allow us to share that hope with somebody that needs that hope, God? And will you open our eyes to see those, God, that need that hope? Give us the words, God, and the wisdom and the strength, God, and the courage to share that hope, God. That there is salvation that's available, God. And there is salvation that is made because of your Son, Jesus Christ, as we celebrate the birth of your Son. Be with us now as we go, Father. in your name we pray.